Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. Well, that brings us to uh, step five, uh, confessing to those who were affected uh, and enlisting help. And this is maybe similar to uh, the step which was repenting. It may at first hit us awkwardly, uh, but in one sense, confession is when we invite other people uh, into our struggle. Uh, and that's why we titled this chapter, I Don't Want to Battle Alone Anymore. It, um, you know, confession is when we invite people in. Confession in many ways is the door to community. Uh, one of the aspects of our struggle with depression and anxiety that can, that can often be the most painful part of the struggle is just the aloneness. The sense that nobody knows. We don't have bruises. We don't have a cast. We don't have any deformity. And so nobody can see that we're hurting when nobody sees it and they respond as if everything's okay. It just feels like everybody understands. Or, sorry, that nobody understands what's going on. Uh, and so confession is really that, that opportunity that we open the door uh, to community. That's why Ed Welch would say, any journey back to the kingdom of God must go through confession. Uh, anxiety is a string around our finger reminding us uh, that, in the case he was talking about in that part of the book, money has become our refuge. Confes- uh, confession acknowledges we still invest in both kingdoms, hoping to minimize our risk. Um, now, um, confession is one of those things that we don't tend to like to do. And it's one of those things that because we don't like to do it and we have to do it a lot, it kind of feels like a chore. And sometimes when it comes to something like vacuuming, which may be the chore that I hate more than any other chore that I have to do ever, um, is it just, if it's done, it's done. I don't care about quality. I mean, I have kind of sort of run over the carpet in every room of the house. Everybody should be happy for at least two months. Um, It... Uh, and sometimes we can begin to approach confession that way. And I want us to pause and to slow down and to say, if confession is that door to community, and it's actually a good thing, it's something that's intended to be a blessing and not a punishment, what if we thought through how to do it well so that we received its full uh, redemptive impact? Um, and, and so we give you uh, several aspects of confession Uh, that we think would be important. Address everyone involved. Uh, So you might go back to some of the list you made if you go through the full notebook study in chapter 2 and you looked at those areas of life affected. And chances are you're going to see names in there of who was affected. And part of what we want to do is we just want to make sure that in those relationships that we don't leave the unhealthy behavioral residue of anxiety and depression in those relationships. That, again, we said 
these emotions have behavioral residue. That behavioral residue becomes these unwritten rules for how relationships ought to be done. And if that's not healthy, then the rules built around it's not going to be healthy. And we address everybody involved, again, not as an exercise in shame, but just to remove the influence. Avoiding words like if, but, and maybe. And it's through this that I think we we really begin to see what it is that we need to own and not own uh, in our experience of depression and anxiety. And so I give you two sets of exercises here because I think it's worth slowing down at this point. And, and in the first set of examples and counterexamples, we will deal with what it would look like to confess, or if we're talking about suffering, probably a better word would be confide. Uh, to confide in others the nature of the struggle that we're facing and invite them into it. And then we'll come back and say, if it's more in that area of personal responsibility, what would it sound like? So, uh, in those areas of suffering, in those areas where we need God's comfort more than His forgiveness, we still want to avoid words like if, but, or maybe. And so an example of where we would use if poorly. If I was scared because of the car wreck, then I'm sorry. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, What if instead we said, would you pray for me that I would be able to trust God even when I'm in the car and we're in the midst of thick traffic? That is confiding in a way that we invite somebody into that struggle. Or how about a, a poor use of but in a suffering situation? I should have trusted God to provide, uh, but there was no money to pay the mortgage. If there wasn't money, uh, okay, what would that might sound like? Can you help me think through how to rework my finances in light of the new medical bills that I have? Uh, What about the word maybe? Maybe I could just think less about, insert some particular trauma. Well, that sounds kind of hopeless. Uh, Instead, uh, pray that God would give me the extra strength and comfort when blank, whatever triggers the memory of that, comes into my life. And so that's avoiding those words in a suffering context. What would it look like to avoid those words in a personal responsibility context? Let's go back through uh, more examples. Uh, Here's if. If I neglected you when I rarely came out of my room for those three months, then I'm sorry. Well, if I rarely came out of my room for three months, I don't need the if. So what should I say? I failed to fulfill my responsibilities and allowed our friendship to become one-sided. I need to own that. Or the word but. I shouldn't have said you were not working enough, but when I'm, when I'm afraid, I freak out about finances. Okay, let's take out the but. I should not have allowed my fears about money to recast how hard you were working. I'm taking responsibility for what it is that I'm doing. Or maybe the third example. Maybe the next time I'm depressed, I should tell someone before I become suicidal. Who's going to get comfort from that statement? Nobody. Uh, What is a better statement? You could not know how bad I was hurting because I didn't tell you. And that put you in a very bad situation when you found out. Again, can you hear how those statements, it helps us just kind of figure out what do we own, what do we not own, and it's helping us think clearly about our experience. So we avoid words like if, but, or maybe. 
And then we admit specifically. And you see I got this nice little concentric uh, circle diagram here. And it just kind of walks us through how could we talk well about uh, this kind of experience. And so this kind of brings chapter 3 into uh, to this chapter and maybe a little bit into the next one. But we start at the center. What is the ruling desire? Well, from the I want desires, I just took control uh, to be what we would use in this instance. Well, from that desire for control, what are some of the types of sin? What are the expressions of sin that can come? Maybe it's stinginess, maybe it's grumbling, being critical. Okay, Well, those types of sin will express themselves on particular occasions. What might that be? Not being satisfied with the kids' grades, negative about a vacation, uh, just being ornery about decorating the house. Uh, those would be the occasions about which I would need to be uh, specific. Uh, now, D&E kind of goes into our next spot here of apologize and acknowledge the hurt. Uh, but those occasions are going to have particular impacts. Um, maybe the kids always feel like they're failing. Um, maybe everybody's exhausted trying to live up to my expectations. Maybe the demeanor of the house just becomes kind of scared or tentative to try new things because if we can't do it right, the consequences are not worth the payoff if we do. Those would be some of the types of impacts that I would need to acknowledge in those around me. And there's going to be particular evidences of that impact. Less effort at schoolwork. Uh, or pulling away from conversations, giving a little short, one-word kind of answers. Or feeling less freedom to laugh just because everything feels too measured. Um, as I admit specifically kind of a hard thing to do because nobody wants to look that close in the mirror but if you think for a moment if you walk through the way that your experience of depression and anxiety is beginning to affect those uh, that you care about in your life how much are you going to begin to root out the behavioral and relational residue that makes your life feel comfortable for depression and anxiety to be at home this is the kind of exercise that makes your life less hospitable for depression and anxiety. Again, we talked about there, I tried to draw out, uh, apologize means acknowledging the hurt. Uh, we, we look at the way that it affects others. Uh, accepting the consequences. Uh, so when we do this, uh, if there's ways that somebody doesn't feel safe with us, and again, in the mild to moderate experience of depression and anxiety, that, that probably wouldn't be the case. Uh, but there may be times when, if we've gotten to the point of despairing of life, or uh, we've been significantly self-medicating with prescription drugs or something like that, there may be some areas where people have lost trust with us. If our fear has led us to be controlling, if our depression has led us to significant areas of neglect, they may want to see some aspects of commitment that would say, I can rely on the things that you're telling me again. And part of confession is being willing to commit to those things. And that involves altering your behavior. Again, confession is not a plea bargain. Uh, it's, I, 
Confession says, I want to change. I want this to be less and less a part of my life. And then, asking for forgiveness and allowing time. Again, in the mild to moderate forms, the time lapse is probably going to be very minor in that sense of relief uh, that just says, I'm glad we can talk about this. I'm glad to know what's going on. I'm glad I can support and encourage you in this. If it's something that you have resisted acknowledging for a period of time, uh, then there may be loved ones in your life who want to see you own this for a period of time before they fully trust that this is a journey that you're committed to. Uh, Whenever it comes to confession, uh, especially over something that we have resisted acknowledging for a period of time, uh, my general rule of thumb is this. When it comes to the forgiveness of the other person, allow at least as much time as it took you to come to repentance for them to forgive. If I allow as much time as it took me to say, this is something that I'm doing and I need to own it and I need to acknowledge how it's impacting your life, however long that took me, if I allow that much time for you to come to the spot where you say, I forgive you and I trust that this is something that you're going to see through to the end, usually that whole aspect of Uh, just the friction that can exist, it dissipates uh, long before we get to that point. Yet, um, you know, in terms of that kind of patience, uh, I think what John Piper says uh, is pertinent here. He says, impatience is a form of unbelief. Uh, It's what we begin to feel uh, when we start to doubt the wisdom of God's timing in the goodness or the goodness of God's guidance. The opposites of impatience is not a glib denial of loss. It's a deepening, ripening, peaceful willingness to wait for God in the unplanned place of obedience and to walk with God at the unplanned pace of obedience. To wait in His place and to go with His pace. And so as we go through this, it, it may require an element of patience. And we've already said waiting is not, it's not a strong virtue of our day and age. Um, and I give you here uh, some thoughts on how to prepare for confession. Um, again, for some of you, that preparation may be just the stigma uh, of this particular emotion. Uh, and I think it's a very unfortunate thing that our day and age, depression and anxiety have become stigmatized the way that they have. Or it may be that some of the impacts that, uh, that the behavioral residue of your emotions have had on other people Uh, that there's a a sense that I do need to prepare and think through how I'm going to say that. Uh, And so just give you some ways to to think through that. There is a a confession guide if you feel like, "Ah, this is going to be kind of a a big deal and I'm not comfortable having the conversation. Uh, It gives you a spot to to write out some of that. 